Hi, and welcome to Becoming Less, an Edmontonian journey to less waste, less impact, less consumption, and less clutter. Becoming Less is brought to you by Waste Free Edmonton, and together we're dedicated to waste reduction efforts, big and small. I'm Biz, and today I have the pleasure of Sam's company. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Sam, well, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do, Sam. Sure. Uh, So my name is Sam Kripiak. I'm a registered provisional psychologist in Edmonton. Um, So I work at a couple places. I work at Summit Counseling Services, and I also work at the YWCA of Edmonton, um, offering counseling at both places. Awesome. And Sam has agreed to come on and talk about the concept and subject of eco-anxiety. Uh, I think you corrected that term when I brought it up to you, though. So what do we mean by that? And what is a better way to say it? Yeah, for sure. So I guess my bias is that I'm happy for people to be talking about mental health and well-being in whatever words work for them. Um, So if eco-anxiety sounds right for you, keep saying it. If it's valuable for, you know, doing internet searches or talking to your friends, keep saying it. But I tend to use the words eco-grief or climate trauma a little bit more often because in my world as a psychologist, the idea of like anxiety or grief or trauma, those are very specific concepts that have different ways of kind of dealing with them, treating them, getting you some help. So to get at like why I don't use anxiety a ton would be to is is because when we talk about anxiety in, in the world of psychology, it usually reflects some sort of like undue or unreasonable worry. Um, so I think that's what you're kind of referring to um, as my correction, because climate anxiety is is usually really reasonable and really not undue. Which I think that a lot of the listeners of this podcast probably need to hear. <laughs> Because I know that I've experienced this and it can be very overwhelming when you try so hard to do the best you can to reduce your climate impact and your waste and you see the rest of the world in, yeah, crisis and it just can be very overwhelming. And so that's how I've always described it. But I like how you say that it's that it's not anxiety. It shouldn't be called anxiety because it's not undue worry it's something we should be worried about. And so that I feel like that's very validating. Yeah, for sure. Is now a good time to kind of describe why I would use grief or trauma instead? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you the like hoity-toity psychology definitions of those. Again, use whatever words fit. But in my world, grief means kind of the human human reaction or emotional experience following a loss or in anticipation of a loss. So we mostly talk about grief around death because you're losing a person, but people have grief around all sorts of things, losing a job, changing jobs, going to university, having their kids move out. And so grief around climate looks like, you know, losing the, the environment or the connection or the beliefs or the values that we saw when we were children. That's a, that's a form of um, an eco-related loss or, you know, losing people or places or things because of eco kind of disasters. So like what happened in BC kind of recently. So that's how I think about grief in relation to, to the climate crisis. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. 
Psychology's kind of fascinated me for a while. I've actually considered becoming a psychologist. I'm not sure I'm dedicated to the years and years <laughs> of schooling at this point, but the way I've kind of come to know grief is grief is all the time. We're constantly mm-hmm. experiencing usually smaller levels of grief, but it's just the way our brain processes change, right? Yeah. And there's like this impending change that is happening. It's just happening very slowly when it comes to the climate. And maybe, okay, so here I have a question for you. Yeah. Why do you think there are some people who experience this anxiety over climate change and pollution? And there are some people who just don't see it. Is it is it just literally that they don't see it? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a little bit in my blind spot because the people who aren't worried about climate change don't show up in my office talking about climate change. <laughs> so I don't really have a ton of data on that side. Um, <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's my pet theories. I'm not going to say they apply to everybody. But in, in some cases, I think people just don't know. They haven't had to know. It hasn't been the center of their life in a in a in a big way. I mean, we have this entire economic and media structure that downplays climate change. We talk about individual disasters, maybe, but we don't, we're not really forced to confront in, in kind of the status quo society, what that, what, what's actually happening. Um, So for some people, it's, it's privilege, I guess, or um, a lack of interest, or just it hasn't crossed their path. And their life's going pretty good, so they're not going to worry about it. And so with those people, I imagine there's the possibility of them learning and changing and becoming more kind of attuned to the situation. As we continue to have these conversations. and Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's going to be some other people, though, and you've <laughs> run into those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to say the the just general because I moved here to Edmonton from the Vancouver Island mm-hmm. and just the complete culture shock of going yeah. from the island to here when it comes to environmental issues was astounding. Like yeah. smack me in the face astounding the difference of just how the general public feels about it. Yes, you're you're keying into something else, which is not only of these kind of larger structures, society as a whole, or, or media, or government, or schooling, like whatever structure you want to point to, um, not only have they not really educated us um, particularly well, in Alberta, <laughs> um, these structures are all part of how we've created this culture that is like oil is our mascot, quite literally. We have a team called the Oilers. Like yeah. and and it's really been set up quite on purpose, I think, by a lot of our our leaders, but also kind of smaller leaders in our communities that you are either wanting to see and tackle climate change or you care about your Albertan community. <laughs> Um, those two things are opposite, even though why would they? I, be? Yeah, I was gonna say they can't be the same. You can't do both, like <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but that's the, and I've lived in Alberta my whole life, but I've lived in Edmonton, which, which is, is a little, yeah, our little 
orange NDP dot in a sea of blue. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I do feel very grateful that if I'm going to be in, a, in Alberta <laughs> that I am in Edmonton, I do love this city. So yeah. let's talk about the third one, which is trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So I think trauma maybe plays into both sides of this story. So maybe I'll define trauma first so we know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and then we can go from there. <laughs> So my favorite definition of trauma is kind of borrowed or paraphrased from, from this guy named Bessel van der Kolk, who's, he's big in the psychology trauma world. Um, but he describes trauma as basically this, it's got to be an in-your-bones experience, like a full-body experience, not just something, you know, that you think about, where you are confronted with the realization in your bones that something dangerous is happening that is a threat to yourself or, or other people, to your, you know, to your well-being or you may maybe to your life, and that you can't stop it. Mm. And when that happens, we're kind of set up for, for a trauma response where we get really stuck trying to solve this survival problem that was presented to us and we couldn't solve it the first time. Does that make sense? I can can relate for sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll give some examples. Yeah. So often when we talk about psychological trauma, the example you might hear about is like PTSD from, from fighting in a war is a big one that we hear about, but also from something like a, like a car accident. And so we'll use car accident because it's a super simple example. You get in a car accident, maybe you're really hurt or other people are hurt, or you just have that like gut dropping feeling of like, I nearly died, even if you didn't. And then what happens next is important if people kind of are able to care for you and, you know, you're like, I almost died, but I didn't and I'm okay now and there's safety precautions in place and I'm cared for, then maybe that doesn't turn into kind of what we would call PTSD. But maybe it does because your brain gets so hooked on I nearly died. That's a real big problem to my whole existence, obviously. <laughs> I'm going to spend all of my energy on fixing that problem so we never have that problem again. So maybe that's hypervigilance around cars or avoiding cars mm. or, you know, thinking through the situation again and again and again and again so that you can figure out the solution. Or maybe it's just numbing out because feeling really sucks right now. Feeling is really dangerous right now. It's scary. Uh, a good way of protecting yourself might to be, yeah, kind of like numbing out, not feeling your emotions. So there's lots of ways that can kind of show up, but it's a really logical kind of process that happens to humans. Mm -hmm. And if we apply that to climate, you know, we're seeing ourselves, other people, people we can put ourselves in the shoes of facing kind of life threatening stuff all the time. And not just people. Towns burning down in BC. Animals, <laughs> forests, you know, like all of these things that we're connected to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think your explanation of trauma being that, I've, yeah, I've definitely experienced that as far as climate change and pollution and waste and stuff with playing it over and over again in your mind or like getting stuck on something to try to find the mm -hmm. solution or, yeah, yeah, I can totally see that definition fitting experiences I've had. Yeah. So is this, would you say this is common? I mean, it's something you specialize in. So mm -hmm. do you see a lot of people experiencing eco-grief or trauma? Yeah, I would say in the last couple of years, those weren't words I had 
until the last couple of years. Before then, I knew about grief. I knew about trauma. Those are areas I work in. I knew about climate change and the climate crisis because that's something I'm passionate about and, and care about. But I hadn't really started seeing those things put together in that really clear way. And so I, I wonder if part of it is that we are experiencing a collective real um, stressor right now with the pandemic. And honestly, another collective trauma with the pandemic. And as a result, that's kind of pushing people to this point of, oh my God, we have social problems and they're not getting fixed. Or, oh my God, my coping is up. I'm done. <laughs> I'm at the end of it. So mm-hmm. everything else is going to spill over. That's been my sense. I don't know if that's if that's accurate, but that would be my guess. Yeah, I would say that it was really apparent to me that, well, it felt to me like the pandemic sent us backwards <laughs> as far as environmentalism. Mm-hmm. It was this, it really struck me that this was not a priority and that if anything, it seemed more like a fad. And when mm-hmm. I really realized that society as a whole really didn't set environmental issues as a priority, it was really hard. <laughs> it was really hard to watch yeah. that go backwards. Yeah, because that's that's also an ingredient in this trauma experience of, like I said, if you got out of that car crash and you were cared for and your community kind of took that on, you fare a lot better than if you're, if you're not. Um, and that's sort of the same thing that's happening here with, with the climate crisis is the first injury is is the disasters, is the fear of what's happening in the future. But the second injury, which is in some ways even worse, is watching people who have power to do something not do something, um, watching people kind of, uh, I guess, gaslight us, to use, to use that term, to say it's not a big deal, to say, you know, there's other more important things. And that doesn't line up with our experience of, oh, my God, this is a really big deal. This is really scary and really important. And so that's even more, I guess, jarring or damaging to to our nervous systems or, or us as people. Absolutely. So what, I mean, I guess you can't really say specifics, but what kind of experiences do people tell you about? Like, what is it that's yeah. facing them? Yeah, so I will talk generally. Um, so I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but often people find me because they they say, you know, like something's wrong. Mentally, I'm not doing well. It seems like a lot of my mentally not doing well has to do with this climate change stuff. Put those words into Google and it leads them to me often. I'm not the only person doing this work, but I think our website has good SEO or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so people, people find me. Um, and so in our first sessions, we're kind of talking about that. And we have a very similar conversation to what we're having right now. Obviously, a little bit more therapeutic, less less chatting. But yeah, just, you know, this is what's going on. Let me explain kind of what tools I have as, as a therapist to explain your experience. And they're like, oh, yeah, that fits. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And even that piece of making sense of their experience is is part of how we treat trauma. So that's kind of a starting place. But Human beings are complicated. <laughs> Society is complicated. So it starts with with eco-grief or climate trauma. And it's usually related to everything else going on in our lives, too. I mean, we've already done that in this conversation. It's related to the pandemic. It's related to 
truck culture in Alberta. It's related to all of that. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we tend to go kind of different routes depending on the person and their life experience and how that's interacting with this really scary climate situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> there are moments when like I have a hard <laughs> time just walking through a store because I'm just like, oh, I'm bombarded with advertising and packaging and I just can't even handle it. But yeah. like... What would you say people like when people feel this way, when they have this, this anxiety and grief? And what do you what would you say are some simple things they can do? Or should they see a therapist or there's something that they can do themselves to kind of? Yeah. So this is biased, but I think everybody should have a therapist. And in the same breath as saying that, (laughs) it's sort of we should all have have a doctor. Both of those things are loaded statements to make because therapy isn't covered well um, and it's not super accessible. So as much as I want every single person to have some, you know, professional mental health support, I, yeah, there's absolutely things we can do outside of therapy that are helpful as well. So if we go down the grief route, what I know about grief and kind of this larger feeling of despair, maybe would be a good way of describing it, is that we don't we don't get to be done with grief. Grief is its own little roller coaster. It doesn't have a timeline. It doesn't have, you know, it's not a straight line. It's up and down. And so the way that we cope with grief is first off acknowledging that it's there because the loss mattered. Mm-hmm. You don't feel grief if there's not love or passion. So grief is kind of the mirror that holds up how much things are important to us and how beautiful and intense and gorgeous life is that is that is lovely that is a beautiful statement yeah that makes grief really pretty (laughs) like (laughs) right it doesn't feel like that when you're going but yeah it's the cost we pay for being human beings that care about things and so we don't get to bargain our way out of grief we just get to have it but at the same time, that grief, that despair is not the opposite of joy. It's not the opposite of anything. You can still have joy while you're despairing. You can still have a valuable life while despairing. So I don't think we're going to get rid of it. You know that it it will move and change over time, but you're not going to get rid of it. So focusing on, okay, this is with me. What do I want to do to honor my, my grief? What do I want to do to take breaks from my grief? What do I want to do to, you know, live the good life in in light of my current circumstances. So that's that's how I would take it from the grief side. I can also talk about some of the inter... Well, that's, that's a psychology word. Interventions um, <laughs> for, for the trauma side of things. How do you take a break from grief? Ah, yes. I thought there would be questions. <laughs> um, I mean, in really silly ways often. You watch, you know, your favorite TV show. You spend time with somebody who you aren't grieving, who you get to enjoy right now, or with something that you're not grieving and that you get to enjoy right now. You sleep. (laughs) Which is sometimes easier said than done. Oh, totally. (laughs) But you cry out all your grief. You have like an absolute epic meltdown. And then, you know, we can only do that for so long. (laughs) We we can't do that every moment of the day. And so then you got to a different kind of break from grief. You get the exhausted, hollowed out, post-cry, I'm just going to eat some ice cream if you eat ice cream. Uh, the ice cream is the best way to deal with grief, I think. 
Yeah. So maybe, maybe at the core of what I'm saying is you be a messy, messy human. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what if you feel like you align better with trauma as, mm-hmm. as a description, what would be some suggestions there? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say about that is that when we go through something that is traumatic, i.e. a threat to our survival, mm-hmm. we don't we don't actually ever get to go back to the person we were before that because we learned something about how to stay alive and our brains aren't going to get rid of that. No way, no how. It's just not, okay. not going to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when we're, we're talking about healing or transforming trauma, it is transformative, not restorative. It is becoming a different person that can incorporate this experience rather than forgetting about it and going back to who we were before. And I think that's extra true with with climate justice work. None of us are going to be the same people we were before we knew about climate change. That that is true. And the deeper you dive, I think, the more that is true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to change you. And and that's kind of sad sometimes. So if, if that brings up grief in its own right, then totally, that's totally fair. Meaning you can experience the grief and the trauma at the same time. Oh, you sure can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, complex, messy humans. That's us. (laughs) Yeah. But if, with that being said, there's tons of ways that we can heal or grow out of trauma. There's actually an entire kind of term for it called post-traumatic growth. And I want to be careful. I, I don't want to glorify trauma. Trauma isn't what makes us, you know, healthier, better people. That that piece of post-traumatic growth is what allows us to live those happier lives. So what that looks like is a few things. I'll break it down into, into three kind of options that people can play around with. One of them is giving yourselves anti-trauma experiences. And so what I mean by that is... If trauma is this experience of failure or losing control or not being able to be safe or, you know, feeling cut off from other people, like all of those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. then what's going to be kind of protective against that or going to help us um, move away from those experiences is doing all of the opposite things. So finding places where you feel successful and effective and powerful Finding places where you're able to set boundaries and protect yourself and feel really safe. Building connections to other people. uh, Feeling like part of a community. Feeling like part of an ecosystem, maybe. Maybe your community is larger than people. All of those things are the opposite of a trauma experience. And so if we can give ourselves that, that's going to start feeling a lot better. So would you say it would be beneficial to find other people who are also environmentalists? Would that be very helpful if you were experiencing this? Yes. Yeah. But also people and things that aren't. Like, my cats don't know. (laughs) They don't (laughs) thought in their brain. (laughs) They don't know that, you know... Spencer, do you not know about climate change? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's right up there. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I can't feel like connected to that, that living being. And like that makes, 
you know, that's kind of the reason for being alive as humans. We're social beings, that we can connect to others and that my actions matter because my cat matters. And my cat's actions matter because I matter. <laughs> cat doesn't know that. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, like that, that, just that healing kind of connection. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing other with other activists, there's, there's the likelihood that you're going to be able to understand each other's experiences, share values, all of those things build that stronger connection. Yeah, I guess I just specifically thought that because if you're feeling out of control, because there's like you had mentioned earlier, there's Mm -hmm. people who have the power to do something and don't Mm -hmm. to find people that are doing something. And that that can give you back maybe a bit of a feeling of of control and, and progress. By yeah. finding other humans that also feel that way and actually want to do yeah. something. And you don't have to do it all yourself. It's actually impossible for you to do it all yourself. Yes. There's no, like, no single human can solve the climate crisis, period. Right. Um, so knowing, knowing that you've got other people in your court and that you're taking this piece of work, but they're taking that piece of work. Yeah, starts making you feel effective again and connected and maybe a little bit safer. Yeah, because I mean, there are definitely times when I felt like I'm not, it's like, I bought a bag of chips. And I'm like, oh, I bought this bag of chips and it comes in this disposable packaging. I'm the worst environmentalist ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and bringing yourself out of that and remembering that we we need more people doing it imperfectly Mm -hmm. and not... Expecting. And it's at a system level, right? Like it's not at an individual level. And we're not very good at understanding even the words I just said in our society. We're not raised to understand to understand things in sort of a communal way. We're very individualistic. So is you buying a bag of chips ending the world? Probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> the things that are that are actually a threat to us are are bigger like kind of um yeah systemic issues yeah yeah and and in a in a logical sense my brain knows that <laughs> but sometimes sometimes yeah. <laughs> yeah it's that feeling of like how do i get control again how do i how am i effective again and buying a bag of chips is not effective why That's am right. i doing what that? am i doing <laughs> that yeah. was just a very silly example <laughs> no but it, it works I will offer the other two kind of helpful toolbox things uh, for trauma. One of them is this word called processing, um, which is almost like it's almost hard to explain, but it's, it's right there. It's that, that healing or growth or prevention, whatever we're working on is actually a process. It's not a one, one step silver bullet sort of thing. And so the process of doing that, I think I described trauma as kind of that stuck feeling of I have this problem and I can't solve it. And so I'm going to dig my teeth in even deeper to this problem that I can't solve. Um, and so the way we get unstuck is, is through expressing our emotions to other people, maybe writing them down in a journal, but, but getting some movement again, um, and sometimes that's also like a physical movement. Uh, we see that in nature a lot. Deers, deers, deer is the plural there. Deer will shake it off after being chased or, you know, pursued as prey. And, and like literally okay. shake? Literally shake. Oh. Literally 
wiggle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so same thing is true for humans. If if trauma is getting stuck in this in our body because it's this full body, full in our bones experience, then if we can start moving in ways that we need to dance. Dance is perfect. <laughs> Walking is perfect. Can I actually wiggle? Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. You can actually wiggle. That is yeah. that is the best advice ever. <laughs> if you're having a hard time right now, just wiggle. Yeah. It'll help. And- and that ties into my third point, which is that, that we need to be really present in the current moment. And the reason for that, I know that sounds super buzzwordy, is because in something like a climate crisis, the only place we're going to find safety is in our little present bubble of experience. If we're looking at everything else, we're never going to find safety. There's going to be something else coming down, down the line towards us but in this moment for example i'm housed my air is clean i can breathe it in i feel good i'm the right temperature you know my feet are on the ground my cats are happy yeah i was gonna say we have our cats nearby it's very important yeah i've eaten recently i'm actually really safe right now not forever but right now i am and so moving processing all of these things are ways of taking us into a new moment as well you're moving that's what's happening right now you're wiggling that's the thing <laughs> that's the present moment how, how unsafe could you really be if, if you're, you're wiggling if you're, <laughs> stop wiggling yeah that is a good point <laughs> i like it so yeah i know some of that stuff sounds silly but does it kind of make sense yeah no that that is yeah, that's a lot of great advice. I think that that's a lot of tools that people, if they're experiencing any of those descriptions of how they feel about climate and mm-hmm. any environmental issues, that that gives tools for people to use. Um, I do really wish that therapy was more accessible. I think that mm-hmm. the fact that it's not covered is a little odd, but yeah, <laughs> more people, <laughs> everyone needs a therapist. I agree with you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And like the secret I'm going to let you in on is all of the therapists also have therapists. We're, there's somewhere out there, there's got to be like the queen therapist. I'm not really <laughs> sure. <laughs> like if you go back all of the, through all of the, all of the therapists, where do you get to? Is it a giant circle? I'm not I sure. just, yeah, but- I just assumed it was a circle. I was like, this therapist sees therapist B, who sees therapist C, who sees therapist D, and then that therapist goes back to A. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've actually just finished reading the book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Have you heard mm-hmm. of it? I have, yes. Yeah. And that was fab- it- I haven't read it. <laughs> it's fabulous. And it's basically about this therapist who has an issue that she's dealing with. So she goes to a therapist and it's talking about her experience from the patient side and from the yeah. therapist side and how those things helped both directions and growth on both sides and it was and it's funny (laughs) and it's (laughs) and it makes you look at yourself and it was a great book i i highly recommend it actually so excellent yeah no i'd seen it i just hadn't read it yet but yeah yeah. so i'm kind of making a joke about the fact that i also see a therapist but part of that is just that like we're in this moment i think i hope where mental health care is becoming a little bit more normalized, if not funded and accessible. And I really want to underline that with 
there's nobody who doesn't have mental health. We all have health of all varieties. Mm-hmm. And taking care of it is all of our jobs. And we can really benefit when we're able to do that. Yeah. I I hope that we see some progress in that in the future and that it becomes a little more accessible for everybody. Mm-hmm. It, for people who are interested in, in getting some mental health support, I'll throw out a couple resources. Um, so if they want to find somebody and they're able, they have coverage or they're able to pay out of pocket for therapy, you can go on uh, Psych Today, which is the, uh, the magazine. They've got like a listing of all of, the, all of the therapists who advertise themselves in Edmonton. So that's a great way to find somebody that's a good fit. If you don't have the funding or like the finances to be able to do that, um, there are some services in the city that offer sliding scale counseling. One of them is the YWCA where I work, uh, but I will give you the, the heads up that we've got a bit of a wait list. You can also go through something like Momentum Counseling, which does, they're, they're a single session model. So it's like a walk-in session. Right now they're online, I think. So you can just go to their website. Mm-hmm. Drop-in YEG, Y-E-G, does the same thing. You can go to their website. Um, but you can also reach out if you're, you know, if you're really distressed, if you're in crisis, you can always reach out to the distress line, which is available 24-7, totally free, and can hook you up with some other resources as well. Their number is 780-482-HELP, H-E-L-P, um, but you can find them online. And they're a program of CMHA, the Canadian Mental Health Association, in Edmonton, which has a bunch of groups and resources around mental health as well. So there is stuff out there. Access is a problem, 100%, but there is stuff out there if you're looking for some support. And like if you, if one-on-one might be too expensive, there are a group that is less mm-hmm. expensive, right? So it's yeah, absolutely. that those are options as well. And I will throw all of those things that you said in the show notes. So they will be there for cool. people to click on the links and check those out. Yeah. Well, like you said, I'm sure there's so much that you could say, (laughs) but if the listeners want to find out more, you can check out all those Mm -hmm. links. Do you have any resources? Like, I don't know if you have blogs or accepting new patients. Yeah. So right now at this, this present moment, beginning of February, 2022, I'm full up. I don't have room for any clients right now, but that'll change pretty soon. So you can find me online just by searching my name, Sam Kriviak. You'll I'm sure you'll be able to link to me as well. Mm-hmm. Another name that comes to mind, somebody I've never actually met, but who was at Summit Counseling before me and how I kind of came into this world of, of eco-grief counseling is, uh, is a, a counselor named Catherine with a C, Forth, F-O-R-T-H. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, she really focused on eco-grief when she was working at Summit and she's at a different location now. So that might be somebody you look up. But resource-wise... There's so, so, so much because if folks are looking, you know, they feel like they're not doing enough, then they can look up different forms of activism, um, different ways to get involved. If folks are feeling really like lonely and isolated in their experience of climate change, then they can look up um, like climate cafes or, or also climate groups where they can meet other people who are experiencing sort of the same thing. So it it depends a little bit on the person what would be most helpful. And there's also a ton of books on climate change in general, but also 
I don't know the title off, off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll let you know and you can maybe throw it in the notes. There's mm-hmm. a book all about on why hope is so crucial to our, to our work on climate justice. So it's important to be hopeful because it's helpful for our mental health, but it's also helpful for reaching our goals. So there's lots out there. Cool. Yeah. If you tell me the name, I will put it in the show notes as well. Sounds good. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you <laughs> so much for joining me today. That was an amazing conversation. Yeah, for sure. It was nice talking to you. All right. We really appreciate it. And I want to send out my gratitude to all of our listeners and to our patrons who support waste reduction efforts through Patreon and wastefree.ca because the efforts of Waste Free Edmonton, they cost money and you help us do those things. I also want to thank Change Toothpaste, who sponsored the costs of the podcast, which is not free and run by volunteers. So thank you to them. If anyone wants to reach out to Becoming Less, you can reach us at becominglesspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at becominglesspod, or you can go to wastefree.ca slash becominglesspod for all the ways to connect and listen. Until next time, we can all be a little less than we were yesterday. Yeah, bye for now.